I think 19 was a bit more back to that 17, 15 mold. Just had a bit more focus and a bit more intensity. And it's because they're the wines we're selling now. So it was a really good vintage. Yeah, amazing, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. Vintage of the decade. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the XNMO Wine Podcast. I am David Clark. In this episode, we have Mick Craven on the podcast. Uh, Mick, originally from Australia, and his South African wife, Janine, make Craven Wines, a negotiant-style wine business based in Stellenbosch. The Cravens work exclusively within the Stellenbosch WO, uh, working with a select group of grape growers and making a set of single vineyard wines in such a way as to let the grapes do the talking as Mick puts it. Everything the Cravens do has a transparency and a purity to it, so no smoke nor mirrors. They are due to release their vintage 2019 wines here in South Africa in a few weeks, in April. So I asked Mick to come into Xanimo HQ and chat about them. This is just post the 2020 harvest. We do go into a bit of the history of Craven Wines during the conversation, principally to provide some context about the 2019s, but I also get curious and wanted to ask questions that shoot us off on a few tangents along the way, as usual. Talking with Mick is always fun and, uh, and informative. Since recording the podcast, I have had the privilege of tasting all the 2019s and can confirm that the wines look really compact, expressive and precise, but with intensity, uh, which is great. Um, and this sort of lovely saline line coming through all of them. Unfortunately, Janine couldn't be with us for the podcast, but we'll get her on at some point in the future. So you have to actually put up with uh, with Mick and I for an hour and a little bit. So good luck with that. If you enjoy the conversation, please consider sharing the episode. There's lots of other episodes uh, also to listen to. Uh, in the meantime, I give you Mick Craven. Mick Craven, thanks for coming in. Maybe for those who don't know what you and Janine do, just a very brief introduction to Craven Wines. Hello all. Um, yeah, so I'm Mick Craven and Janine, the other much better half of Craven Wines. Is... <laughs> I can attest to that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, not here right now. but um... Collectively, we, we make up about 30% of our... Partnerships, I think, you and I. Correct. <laughs> yes. The much lesser half, <laughs> shall we say. So Craven Wines, um, for those that don't know us, started, I guess, started in 2012, but then subsequent years, 13, and I'd say 2014 was probably when we really started properly. Everything we do, I guess, in a nutshell is Stellenbosch. So we're very much focused on Stellenbosch, and we're focused on making single vineyard wines in and around Stellenbosch. Um yeah, they're just from vineyards that we think are exciting or interest us and from varieties that interest us and just allow us to make some sort of honest, authentic wines from very much a single vineyard in a single place. Cool, cool, cool. Awesome. So we're talking specifically about vintage 2019, which we're about yep. to release to South Africa. Chat us through those wines. Claret is no longer, so the 2018 was the last vintage, is that correct? Yep. What correct. happened there? What was the point? What was... <laughs> Long story, but... Shorten it. <laughs> so I guess one of the wines we, we started with was a Claret Blanche, which I guess a lot of people probably know of. But sadly, last year, through, I guess, a little change in farming or a change in own ownership at one of the farms, which okay. happened to have our Claret. Yeah. Um, so just, just to be clear, you don't own any land, you, you work with farmers to Correct, work yeah. With, yeah okay. So we run, I guess, if you can call it a negotiant model, where yep. we do buying grapes. Yep. Um, but every every year the vineyards are from the same, we use the same grapes from the same vineyards every yeah, year. So long-term yep. agreements. And the Clara Blanche, um, 
was a vineyard that the farmer that took over that farm decided was not really relevant to what they wanted to do and go forward. Um, but before that, okay. his his uh, ideology on farming was didn't really align with us. So okay. we decided to stop making it before the vineyard was pulled out. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. And so, uh, and you've made a different uh, uh, sort of a debut wine from 2019. We have. So we've. We started with a Cabernet last year and we thought we'd get even more Stellenbosch and pick up a little Chardonnay vineyard. Um, awesome. Which, you know, it's a variety that we've always loved. We've always loved drinking. Um, not necessarily all styles of Chardonnay, but more the, the style that is leaning towards, I guess you can call it leaner and brighter and uh, more acidity driven. Okay. Um, and we just, you know, we've been looking for a vineyard for a while and I guess Stellenbosch isn't exactly your typical cool climate region or a region that isn't sort of known for those sort of brighter, crisper styles. It's but not known for high acid whites, is it? Yeah. Um, but one thing, you know, we're not, and we feel for all our wines is we're not short of sunshine in this country. So we can get flavors at low sugar levels. So this one vineyard particular that we take from is from a, an area that we've become sort of very much fond of, which is the Polka Dry Hills, mm -hmm. which is slightly cooler than the... Just, just very quickly, for those who haven't been to Stellenbosch and don't know yep. where Polka Dry is. So Stellenbosch is a town um, surrounded by vineyards, and yep. then there's different WOs yep. uh, within the Stellenbosch region called wards. So where is the Polka Dry and what's its main characters? I guess if you look at it, the Polka Dry is um, probably the westerly side of Stellenbosch. It's probably the, what is the, the small sub-region closest to Cape Town. Yeah. It does have a pretty strong maritime influence. It, it sits right in the, we have a very um, strong wind in the southeast of here, mm -hmm. and it sits right in the valley that cops a lot of that wind. So that's where it gets its cooling effect. Okay. And the one thing that we really find, <laughs> I mean, granite so is just, a, Sorry, yeah. just to interrupt, just to go backwards. Um, maritime influence, you're saying that's from the south rather than from so you're saying it's from False Bay rather than Table Bay? Definitely. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Because um, it's more or less in between those two water it bodies, is. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But I guess the... The, the prevailing wind The prevailing is, wind is southeast. I mean, we only get the Atlantic side from a, a, yep. a rainy perspective. Uh, and also I was saying sort of granite is a, a very big buzzword in this country. Everyone seems to have granite no matter where you go. <laughs> Whether it's... It's decomposed though. It's true, decomposed. True granite or it's just building sand. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Low-level building sand as well. Correct. Yeah. That's the that's the rumor. But we find in the Polka Dry, particularly, there's a, a real. Um, it is decomposed in some areas, but it, there's, you will see a lot of chunks of granite, and um, those sort of soil types really. We enjoy those soil types. What they give to wine. How hi how feel. hilly as it actually is it? How what? Hilly. I mean, it's Polka Dry Hills. It is quite hilly. I mean, if you go to the top of the Polka Dry Hills, you're looking at three, four hundred metres above sea level. Yeah, okay. Um, so the, it is, it's not, you're not sitting on the Simmonsburg, but you're definitely yeah, above right. You're not getting snow level. in winter. Yeah. But, uh, and then with obviously hills, you tend to get a, uh, a varying um, soil definitely. Uh, profile. Is yeah. that true here as well? Yeah. So, so this granite, so what, what does it sort of fluctuate between? Down to sand. Okay, right. Yeah. So okay. where this vineyard sits, um, it's sort of quite in the low area of the Polka Dry Hills, so mm -hmm. there is a lot more sand yep. and a little bit of clay, but there's definitely underlying granite through the vineyard. Okay, so that's where yep. the, sort of the precision comes from, yeah. rather than the power that yep. if it was on a like in the Devon Valley, which we'll get to, has a more yep. of a clay base. For sure. Yeah. Cool. So this Chardonnay? Um... Yeah, so I mean, one thing for us is that we've learned this negotiant model 
there are some incredible vineyards that we would love to work with, but sometimes the the jockey in the seat managing that vineyard isn't the person we want to work with. And we've learned over time that the person running that site is almost more important than the site itself in a yeah, lot of right. respects. Um, this is quite a long-winded run-up to this, but so when we're looking for Chardonnay vineyards, um, we're also looking at people that farm that vineyard. And you know, a close friend of ours, Danny Carinas, has a great Chardonnay vineyard. He's got two vineyards, and you know, he's a guy that we can really work with, and we can have conversations about how we farm and what we do. And so it's kind of very solid, do isn't he? Yeah, and I mean, I think those things make a huge difference going forward in terms mm-hmm. of. Um, you know, having continuity in your wine is having conversation with the farmer and, and um, being able to do different things in the vineyard instead of just relying on them to do everything. Yep. So that was one of the main reasons we decided on this vineyard was mm-hmm. because of Dani. Um, so, I mean, you, you've been working with Dani or sort of next to Dani on yeah, Dani for I mean, a long time. We've never worked with him. Oh, is this the first time you've worked with him like, um, in terms of yeah, fruit with grapes? Him? Oh, right. Okay. Um, for Craven, anyway. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're, you know, the Pole is an amazing okay. little community. So mm. we obviously spend a lot of time together with all these guys and it's just awesome to start working with them. Oh, cool. Um, so yeah, the wine itself, it's very simply made. So okay. in 2019, how many yep. tons did you, I mean, this is the first first harvest of Chardonnay yep. in the in the Craven space? Yeah, so Chardonnay in 2019 was So did you sort of dip a, your toe in or did you go in pretty hard? No, we never go in hard, just... Okay. You know, it's one of those things you never know what a vineyard gives you until you make it. Yeah. You have a good idea what it'll give you, but um, we always just start with a little bit. I think we made 1,100 bottles. Okay. Um, so, what, two tons kind of thing? Yeah, one and a half tons. Yeah. We squeeze it pretty hard. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> I, thought, I thought you may have fucked half of it up. Yeah. So. <laughs> to be honest, 2019, Stellenbosch Chardonnay yields were probably the worst in history. All right. Good year, yeah. to, good year, good year to kick off then. Yeah. I mean, quality, quality was great. Yeah, of course it was. Um, <laughs> No, it just there was it was bad fruit set. Okay. Um, there was quite a bit of mildew problems, which required okay sorting and stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't a detrimental year in terms of quality. It's just mm. not a lot of it. Just doesn't yeah okay. yeah. So yeah. we wanted a little bit more, but we just um, got a ton and a half. And and what did you do once you got it? Uh, yeah, I mean. I'm starting to get sick of these words, minimal intervention and all that no, stuff. No, but I mean, like, literally, yeah. what happened? Did you well, literally put literally a whole bunch of this stuff. Straight away? Straight as soon as it comes in the winery? Yeah. Or do you, yeah. do, you, do you chill it down for a day or anything? No, or? I mean, the great thing about what we do, yeah. um, I take my hat off to people who travel three or four hours to go get their grapes and do all this and pick from these remote spots. And um, But what Janine and I do, we love, I know it comes across as lazy, but we love having our vineyards close to us. Yeah. I mean, all our vineyards probably... From the furthest to the furthest, fifteen minute drive. Okay. So right. we're getting our grapes in at you know eight a.m., nine a.m. in okay. the morning. And so there's no, no, cool. no need to. No, we okay. never get grapes warm. Yeah. Um, so straight into the press. Straight in the press, whole bunch press to a tank. And what are you using? Bag press. Or yep. Vibe, vibe. Yep. Bag press straight to a tank. Um, obviously, there's no enzymes or stuff added to let it settle. We just mm. let the literally the the shit settle out, mm-hmm. and then we rack that straight to barrels for ferment. Overnight, okay. so we do it the next day. Okay, it's how we treat all our whites generally, yep. and then just yeah, let it ferment and let it do mallow and let it do everything in barrel. And how much are you full leaves? Like, are you sort of yeah. are you letting it settle before you put it into barrel? Like, I mean, no, not really. No, it doesn't really settle much. No. Okay. I mean, it clarifies a tiny bit, but the thing is, we we want 
solids in there. Yeah. Particularly if you're not adding food for yeast or all that stuff, you do need a bit of nutrient in there, and then you might as well just use the, the natural yeah. nutrient. So you're sort of hopefully ensuring a yeah a, a, a healthy ferment. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so alcoholic ferment finishes off. Yep. What, do, what do we? What do you end up with? Um, like alcohol wise, yeah, I think this is about twelve five. Mm -hmm. Twelve around twelve five. Okay. I think all our ones are 12, 5 this year. <laughs> Just print levels for 20 years. Yeah, we either add a little bit of water to bring, bring it down <laughs> yeah, 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 or yeah. a bit of spirit to bring it up. Yeah, nice. Um, no, I mean, we I mean, we don't necessarily aim for low alcohol wine. We just... But when you make a picking decision, is it based more on the acid on the wine or is it... Made, or is it Acid's uh, very important. Because you're not I adding acid, are you? Yeah. So you like one, what, 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 what the vineyard gives you is what you've got to work with. Yeah, I mean, the counterproductive thing to being in a warm climate is we don't have a lot of acid yeah so we're very wary of that yeah um and we like things to go through malolactic so we want okay. a lot of acidity and you know if you're picking early particularly in south africa you're having a lot of malic acid this is getting mm -hmm. very technical but yeah. um obviously the more malic you have the more you're going to run out of in the long run yeah so we do like to pick it because I mean, malic converts obviously in the malic yeah. Lactic fermentation. Yeah. So for wine geeks out there, um, this came in at, I think it was 13 grams or 12 and a half grams of total acidity. Mm -hmm. But within that was seven grams of malic acid. Um, and it's not a one for one switch, obviously, because you're getting some lactic acid back in. Mm -hmm. So I think it finished off at 7.2 total after okay. malolactic. Right. Um, and you encourage. I mean, you said you'd like it going through, but if it doesn't, if it doesn't, if it doesn't want to happen, go through, it doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, but do you put the, the barrels out in the sun to sort of, you know, to be brutally honest, push and it, I or? don't know why this is. We, our wines, a lot of them, and I think, I don't think this is a good thing, but a lot mm -hmm. of them go through spontaneously with alcoholic or they'll okay. kick off with alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Um, and you think that's a farming thing? Like I think it's, a, I think it's a temperature thing. We don't, oh, really? okay. yeah, we don't, we don't cool ferment our wines. Um, mm. you know, so they there's, no, in the there's, no, there's no chilling plates or glyco or no like I mean we our, our whites will ferment at 22 23 24 25 degrees sometimes mm -hmm. and you know bacteria likes that okay um, sometimes it can not be good yeah um, but yeah we've never struggled nothing's ever not gone through malolactic mm -hmm. and if something doesn't you just actually no one barrel of claret I think didn't go through but the thing is it was one barrel of many so the total blend, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was still a stable one. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. It, we don't do it for the flavor or the texture or anything. It's more about naturally stabilizing the product. And do you, are you like stirring lees? What's your, what's your um, alibi sort of we regime only, like? We only batonage for reduction okay. generally. So if there is an element of reduction kicking in that we find that is a little bit aggressive, we'll yeah. give it a stir. Well, I know you... you, you I mean, we've drank Burgundy together that had a, a very, you know, characteristic reductive tint to it. And you were like, I saw, you know, the eye, the, your eyes go wide and your big smile and, and Janine too. So you're happy to drink reductive Chardonnays, but you don't necessarily want your wines to be reductive or is it a different, different uh, strokes of different folks? I think so. I think there's, there is a reduction, there's a reduction, yeah, but okay. I'm, I'll happily admit it's something that actually terrifies me. Okay. Um, why that is, I don't know. Janine, much less so. Really? Okay. Yeah, it's just... It's not... I don't see it as a bad thing at all. I just... Yeah. I, I think... I think it can sometimes take over a wine. Yeah, In okay. terms of what you're trying to give the, the customer or the person that's drinking it. Mm -hmm. You know, wine that's just really... 
call it flinty or whatever, or it's just over the top match, match, struck match. It's just, it takes away from the, the authenticity of the wine. Um, obviously it will evolve and go away or come back and, um, So when it becomes dominant, you find. Yeah. 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 And so when people are drinking the Chardonnay, what are they, what, what should we expect in terms of in the glass? <laughs> Great question. I mean, <laughs> first time we made it. Yeah. Um, no, but I mean, you drink Chardonnay, you've you, yeah. you obviously had a picture in the mind. Are you you're obviously happy with it? Otherwise you wouldn't have released it. No, we just needed to make money. Yeah, you need the cash. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think when I drink this wine... Yeah, your wardrobe looks about as expensive as mine. So obviously <laughs> <laughs> you need the cash. <laughs> <laughs> My 48 grey t-shirt. Well, let's see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what is really cool about this wine and what I love about this wine... Um, I think it inherently tastes like Chardonnay, but I think it tastes a lot like, and this sounds really stupid, but it tastes like the Polka Dry. Okay. And when I say that, I find a lot of similarities between this and the Claret, for instance, mm -hmm. and also with our Shannon, which are all Polka Dry. Mm -hmm. um, just this sort of real saltiness, um, brininess, and not massive over-the-top fruit. I mean, you're never going to get that 12.5% really, yeah. but I think... For me, it almost shows more about the region than the grape. And whether that's a good thing or not, I'm not sure yet. And the micro-region being polka dry rather yeah. than stolen bushes yeah, as a whole. definitely. Okay. Um, so that I was really happy with mm -hmm. about the wine. So you, like Chardonnay seems a bit transparent in this in this way, like in terms of it showing the winemaking or the you know the lack of interference and the, yeah. and the farming, um, I guess. I, mean, in I the, think in so. The, obviously, you did interfere. Yeah. <laughs> there's always a, there's, a, there's a bit of a bandwidth on this yeah. spectrum, isn't there? And I think it's one of those things. It's hard to it's hard to judge a wine on the first year you make it. Yeah. You need to make it a few years and just. You, you sorry to interrupt again, yeah. but you did say um, it's obviously a Chardonnay. What does that mean? What What, what do you mean when you say <laughs> it that? It says Chardonnay in the label. Yeah. Um, no, but what is it when, when in the glass? You said it's obviously a Chardonnay. Obviously Chardonnay. That's yeah. a good point. I'm getting caught out on this. I don't know. I just has. <laughs> um, <laughs> if I was to have a blind, I'd like to think of Chardonnay. Yeah. I don't know. It just shows those sort of typical apple and pear and yeah. fruit sort of characters. Um, so more orchard fruit rather than tropical fruit? Definitely. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. And sort of like citrusy vibes? Or, yeah, I think it yep. does. It does have that sort of more citrus orchard element rather than sort of tropical. We should probably drink it and find out. Um, and, um, and on the palate... Obviously, you've been fermenting with solids, and yep. indeed, you feel that, it on the palate, that sort of yep. that sort of mouth feel, and sort yep. of like a marshmallowy effect on the mid palate. Yeah. Or is it quite creamy? It's quite sort of. It's actually quite richer than I thought it would be. Okay. Um, it had a very long ferment. It actually fermented for about two months. Okay. Whites we've never had that happen to. Yeah. Right. Not sure why. Whether it was just lack of nutrient from a strange year, or. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, our 2020 now looks very different. I was going to ask you, what's, uh, what's the 2020 look 2020 like? 2020 ripped through ferment. Okay, so complete um, opposite. Complete different beast. But, and same vineyard, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, okay. And, so, and treated the same way, yeah. but just a different harvest, different vintage, different... Yeah. Different. So I'm very keen to see how they compare. Because, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we you and I have this lovely discussion about our 2014 Pinot Gris, which was an interesting one. And if you judged a Pinot Gris based on that, as to where it is now, it's a completely different beast. Yeah. At the time, I thought it was, um, if anything, too characterful. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Well, I, mean, I, haven't, I haven't tried it since then, so I'd love to like, open yeah, a bottle. We'll maybe drink one tomorrow. Yeah, awesome. Um, so, yeah, that's that's where we've Chardonnay. So, cool. I mean, it's it's obviously the first time we've made it, and yep. it's by no means be the best one we ever make, but mm -hmm. it's 
It's a start. Uh, just a quick one before I forget, your labels um, yes. are obviously a, a huge part of the your brand in terms of the, the aesthetic of it. Mm -hmm. um, as I understand it, it's a depiction of the vineyard that the wine comes from mm -hmm. by a friend, an artist friend of yours and Janine's, is that? Yep. And what's her name? So her name's Mariette Kotzer. Okay. She's a... K-O-T-Z-E? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So she's a very dear friend of Janine's sister-in-law. I mean, she's an incredible artist in her own right. Mm -hmm. um, well, I think she is. And it all started in 2012, I think, when we started with Antipodean Pinot, which yes. turned into Craven. And, and was it Pinot Noir the first one? Yes. We're going to get to that as well, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And so she, um, you know, we, we have this whole idea. I mean, Janine and I have not one creative bone in our body, I don't think, in terms of art. Mm. But we had a concept of... We like the idea of different labels to different wines, mm -hmm. but we wanted them to all have some form of unity and uh, togetherness. Yeah. So we just thought, a you know what? Common, common thing. Common thread, through. yeah. Yeah. So we thought they're all single vineyard wines. Um, we both kind of loved sort of watercolors and just random colors and stuff on wines. So we thought, yep. which is a bit strange because the first one's not even that. Um, so we just spoke to Marriott and said, do you want to do... A wine label for us. And just quickly, what does she, what art does she normally produce uh, uh, on her own? On her own, you have to go and check it out on Instagram okay. because it's more, I don't even know the terminology for it, hence yeah. me being useless. But is art. it similar to what? Not at all. No, okay. Um, but she's just stupidly talented. She whips up these, I don't she does these in like a day or two. Yeah, it's right. quite scary. Yeah. So yeah, we said, can you just, here's a vineyard and can you do a fine line? She did a fine line in pretty quick quick mm -hmm. and then it sort of grew from there and it's it's just fun you know for us to it's a different sort of way of I don't know showing what you know outside the bottle meets the inside of the bottle yep and it's fun to have a collaboration with her yeah yeah. and she loves it I mean yeah. last year she was the year before she was furious because we had no new wine it was the first year she's mm. like you know she loves doing them and it's it's great fun but it's quite cool she's done some um labels for friends overseas now yeah which is awesome. Oh, that's awesome that's cool she's done some labels for, uh, for people that know Pax at Wingap mm -hmm. done a label or two for him and then a wine for some people in the UK and very cool which is it's just fun I mean yeah. it's just a side thing for her and she enjoys it and so yeah go so to at Craven Wines for the um on Instagram to have a look at the labels I'm sure if you go through the yep. food all the labels will be there yep so uh, we spent a million minutes on the first wine, so hopefully the next few will, will just pump through them. Yep. Um, so Claret's no longer Shannon Blanc. So Carabib. Shannon. Um, Yoshua. Yeah, so that's a, I mean, we could spend half an hour talking about that guy, but mm. let's do it quite quickly. Um, you know, Shannon is obviously a grape that doesn't need too much talking about. Everyone knows about it. Mm -hmm. And I guess particularly for us who make single vineyard wines, trying to find a vineyard or just choose one is kind of almost impossible just to settle on yeah and just 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 to, again to pull you back and yep. i apologize for putting Dive. all these um roadblocks and speed bumps in the way but i think um stellenbosch then is still a little bit of a unknown quantity because mm -hmm. there is a, i mean stellenbosch is such a diverse um place in terms of yeah. uh terroir and aspects and soil types and um maritime influence versus uh, mountain influence mm -hmm. etc so what Yours is polka dry, obviously, again. Yeah. Uh, in the scheme of Stellenbosch and Blanc, where does yours sit in terms of stylistic, on the stylistic spectrum? What, where would you, or, um, or, or South African spectrum? Because, I mean, p people, 
know what Chenin Blanc kind of is, yeah. but I'm not sure that they understand what um, what uh, what Stellenbosch Chenin Blanc what 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 Stellenbosch brings to Chenin Blanc to make it unique. <laughs> That's a great question, but a very tough one. I mean, it's one of those things because we have so much of it. Yeah, the message can get very diluted with. Okay. What we can offer from Stellenbosch, I mean... Okay, I'll, I'll try and make it a bit easier for yeah. you. There's granite here, there's granite in the Paderberg. Yeah. Different Chenin Blancs obviously are pr produced from Pogba Dryer than the Paderberg. Yeah. What's the difference between in, in the glass? What, what, what does a drinker expect? Um, to, if you, they've got a, you know, a Pogba Dryer Chenin and a Paderberg Chenin, what, mm -hmm. would be the, what would be the difference between the Craven and the Intellego, for example? It's funny because those, I mean, those two wines are probably made very, very similarly. And I think that's, I think it's got to be climatically. Mm. Um, so coastal influence? Yeah. I mean, we don't, we're nowhere near as warm as there, but saying that their nights are much cooler. Yeah. Um, just being that little bit more inland. Yes. Uh, I mean, both. And it's probably maybe slightly higher altitude perhaps. Yeah, or, I'd say so. Yeah. Up there in the Paderberg. Yeah. Um, we obviously actively try and, we do try and pick, I hate saying earlier, but. It is earlier than most people um, trying to maintain that acidity. Mm -hmm. And I guess that then does really reduce your sort of overt fruit characters and over-the-top sort of tropical vibes, which you can get a lot in Stellenbosch. So casting your mind back to 2019 harvest, mm -hmm. when were you picking the Shannon? What, what sort of dates were you picking? Uh, That's a question without notice. The 8th of February. Okay. But that's probably a week and a half to two weeks later than the Paderberg guys, I would have thought. Yeah, depending on where you pick from. Of I course, guess. yeah, yeah. Um, but more or less, I don't think they're mm, picking much no. into mid-February. No, but then you get, the we picked, we made some Shannon from a different farm this year for Another something else. Yeah. Um, from a farm called Rustanoff where we get Asinso from, which yes, is yes. right next to Mirlist. Yes. So even right next to, well, it's the same vineyard that um, Signs of Sina. Yep, Bernard, yeah. So, or one of his vineyards. And that we picked on the, I think the 25th of January. Yep. Um, those vineyards are crazy early. That's interesting. Yeah. Because yeah. that's usually seen as the sort of the cooler part of Stellenbosch, but I suppose it depends on aspect and... Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's a different, it's it's dry farmed, or mm -hmm. Caribou's dry farmed as well, but um, it's on a much sandier soil. And okay. the thing is... I see, yeah, yeah. You could have Caribib and Rustanoff at, mm -hmm. let's say, 19 bricks, and the Rustanoff, and it's got much more granite, actually, in the Rustanoff. Once it gets going, it goes in like two or three days. Just because the soil is very weak. In terms of once ripening, it's ripening. Sugar, yeah. yeah. So it just goes rapid. Yeah, right. Um, so just the acidity drops out very quickly. Yeah, okay. yeah. Acid's or is good. It, it's just more oh, the just sugar. Oh, the sugar goes up. Okay, right. Um, so yeah, I guess back to your original question. I don't... It's one of those things I don't really know. And, I, and it goes for a lot of varieties in Stellenbosch. I don't know what... Because it is so broad and there's so many mm. styles of so many people making it. I, yeah. There isn't... I feel, and I'll probably get berated for this, but there isn't a common um, element that we have, for instance, with Stellenbosch Shannon that the Swartland guys do. Yeah. I feel. Well, they all have yeah. a very similar ideology in the way they do things. Yes. Whereas us and Stellenbosch have, a, there's almost two camps, really. Yeah. And you know, there's people in between, but yeah. there is people picking earlier and making sort of more savory and nuanced and mm -hmm. lower alcohol. And then there's the big guys making big wines. So yeah. it's not, it's not a, it's interesting. I was just chatting to um, Julian Schall, um, 
at his release a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Obviously, he makes wine in Alsace, which is you know uh, very uh, vineyard focused, seventy you know, odd Grand Crus. Um, and he was asked, "What's the difference between making wine in in South Africa versus Alsace?" And he mm. goes, "Well, the soil's less important, and the climate's much more important in South Africa against Alsace, whereas okay. the soil is a much bigger influence." Um, on the resulting wine, so that that's that probably goes to your point, saying that you know Swatland has a more broader um, climactic influence mm-hmm. than Stellenbosch has, sort of a lot of more smaller pockets, perhaps. Yeah, I don't know, yeah. I'm sure there's Swatland guys out there who are who will will disagree. Yeah, fervently, and I'm not <laughs> saying it's ubiquitous and it's generic. Yeah, but I think the difference may be slightly smaller than um, because of that heat spike. Yeah. You know, the difference between 35 and 37 is less than the difference between 26 and 28. Yeah. Um, not that there's a difference, but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so many... Yeah. There's so many... I mean, it's just... Everyone knows this. We can go down a rabbit hole for yeah, a long time. Yeah, there's so many factors in making wine. Yeah. And so this is your yeah. third or fourth vintage? We started... Our first was 2016. Yeah, okay. 16, 17. This is our fourth. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so the vineyard was... Um, I think for its whole life, it is currently 38, planted in, no, 39, planted in 81. Okay. I don't know its entire life, but when we started taking it, mm-hmm. um, it was going for a sweet wine at KWV, correct me if I'm wrong, Josh. Um, and so it was farmed at 15 tons a hectare and farmed obviously completely different to how we would farm it and mm-hmm. we were shown it by... How is it farmed at 15 tonnes a hectare where it is on granite soils? I mean, that seems like a... I don't know if it was 15 tonnes. I think that was yeah. maybe the aim. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, But it was pruned differently. Okay, right. lots so, of fruit bearers. Yep. Um, yeah, and then... Because it doesn't look like a really sort of uh, a site that would... Um, give that. Would naturally give that. No. It, not naturally, but, you know, like... Uh, yeah. Would, would want to give that. It's know. funny, I haven't really... To be brutally honest, I've spoken much to Josh about it, mm. um, but I just knew that's where I was going. And, you know, it's great. I mean, we didn't exactly find it. And when people talk about finding vineyards, it's hilarious because the farmer found it when he planted it. Um, we were shown this by a great guy called Tim Bob Martin, mm-hmm. who was sadly not making wine anymore, but he was the first person to take grapes from this vineyard. And he... I, I think wanted more people to take from there. So yep. we decided to take a bit in 2016. Yeah. And just Caribib, um, you put it on the label. You obviously, you know, you're, that means we you're do. proud of where yeah. it comes from. And I mean, we, we would put all the farms on all the labels if we were legally allowed to by the, um, the powers that be. Okay. And we're trying to every year sort yep. of um, register them and put something on the label that shows where the farm is or who the farmer is. Yeah. Um, no, I mean that's that's so you, because they're not registered as just to catch vineyards. up on on uh, <laughs> on laws here. Um, because they're not registered as single vineyard, you can't reference that it comes from a specific a, a, a vineyard. Yeah, you can't um, use the word vineyard. Vineyard is a very um, protected word on South African or any other language. geographic indicators. Yes. Yeah, unless it's unless it's registered as that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we were blocked down in 2014 with our Pinot for saying grown by Jan Fora, which is Janine's dad. Yeah. They said you're not allowed to put grown by because it's um, not a registered single vineyard, which it's, it is now, but mm-hmm. which is amazing because I've seen probably six wines since then now that say grown by someone which is not a registered single vineyard. So, I mean, sometimes labels get through and sometimes they don't. 
Um, we, you know, we're very open about where we get our grapes from. I mm-hmm. think it's very important. I think. I think transparency is a um, is, the, is the next level of uh, of ensuring that um, quality of viticulture in this country is hundred percent. Because then you, I mean, because if people know that your shaman comes from Joshua Yuber of Karabib, mm. um, and if they want the same grapes, then you have to pay the right amount for it. Exactly. And that's that's a win win win. Yeah. 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 No, I mean. You obviously do hear hear from people being very protective of their sources and whatever, each their own. But for yeah. us... I can be vocal on your behalf <laughs> about that. <laughs> but I think it, it serves nobody. I really do. It doesn't. I agree. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for a business like ours, which is, once again, a negotiant business, mm. our major, I guess, stakeholder is our grower. You know, if we don't have these people, we're absolutely screwed. It's, it's hard to make something if you don't have the ingredients. Exactly. Particularly a single vineyard wine. I mean... Mm. A, the perfect example was that Clara Blanche. That yes. vineyard disappeared and we don't we lost twenty percent of our business. Yeah, right. Um you know, we could go find another Clara Blanche vineyard, but it just A didn't feel right and B made no sense. Mm-hmm. So we're very open to, you know, telling everyone where our grapes come from. I mean it's cool. awesome. It has to be I mean you look at the, the perfect model is the American model. You know, the the California model is a great example. The People, perfect model. Not the perfect model. I'll take that back. <laughs> That's um yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do retract that. <laughs> You're on it. This, this is not live. Strike that from the record. <laughs> no, but you know, over there, people, those vineyards, to write that name on a bottle is worth so much money to a lot of people. And I think that's a great system. Yeah. Um, and it's just not done here. And I think it will happen. I hope it does. You know, the wine think, makers think, on the pedestal. I, I think too. I'm going to chat to you and Janine about your time in the US. Because obviously, you, you reference it quite a, bot, a lot, yep. both of you. So I think at one time, we'll, we'll chat to you guys together. Mm-hmm. and chat to you guys about how that's affected you and how that's informed sure how you do your, how you not only how you run your business but how you make choices with you know wine making choices yep. and, and and brand building and all of that sort of yeah. stuff so we've got Chardonnay and Shannon, Shannon. both from yep. Polka Dry then we've got what Pinot Gris. Gris I think next yeah the sort of the white red red grey grape yeah that thing yeah <laughs> I looked at the service um Sinso plantings because Christian and I had a disagreement and he was right in the end. But I, th- I saw I saw um, in the Pinot Gris plantings it was listed with the white varieties. Yep. But I remember you saying, I think mid last year, that you were really pumped because you'd um, registered your Pinot Gris as a red wine, yep. which means it only has to be tasted every three years or whatever, like an extended 18 period, months. 18 months, sorry, yep. rather than every 12 months because yep. it's not a white wine, it's a red wine. Um, so Savas thinks it's both apparently. Yeah, we had this discussion. I, I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a, I don't know, it, but it is a, a strange grape. It kind of... Yeah. So gen- Pinot Gris, this wine is a very unique uh, to Stellenbosch, to South Africa, I guess, yeah. in terms of its um, its aesthetics as well. Um, so for those who don't know, it's a skin contact uh, Pinot Gris, mm-hmm. um, and it ends up... What would, what would the colour... What would you describe the color? Obviously, it varies vintage to vintage, but what does yeah. it what does it fluctuate between? Sort of, sort um, of he- like dark, like, um, like onion skin to. Yeah, it's more on the redder spectrum these days. Yeah. In, in the earlier ones, it was more on that sort of. It's sort of like slight orangey, sort of copper. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like uh, polished brass type of. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Um, I think that's that that's changed more so, obviously, in the way we make it now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we've, it's an interesting one. I mean, we started with it for fun in 2014. Yeah. And 
once again referencing California, was through a few producers there who, who made it where we were working, and we just kind of really liked it. Um, Specifically, Pinot Gris. Yeah, okay. I mean all all the wines, but yeah, that one. Well, I, I thought maybe like it was more of a you'd got um, inspiration from the Trousseau Gris or you know like some things like no, that. No, it was definitely Pinot Gris. Okay, cool. And I mean, we had no idea there was Pinot Gris in Stellenbosch. We didn't yeah, right. even. This is the infancy of us doing anything back mm-hmm. in 2013, even. When did you arrive in South Africa? 2011. Okay. Yeah. And then, I mean, we decided this in 2014. Um, I mean, people have probably heard this story, but it was like the 10th of January and I was driving with a farmer on this farm, very close. It's kind of Polka Drive, but it's not. Um, it's on the wrong side it's of the on road? It's Polka Drive Road. <laughs> <laughs> and... So, we, so all the pal guys say, so it's on the N1. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just the wrong side of the N1. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, if you know what Pinot Gris grapes look like, this is obviously just before harvest, very early harvest. No one's harvested anything. Mm. But if you know what Pinot Gris looks like, it's... It's a post-veraison, almost yeah. ready to... Like, I mean, we're just back from holiday. Yeah, yeah. You know, checking in on some Shannon and stuff. And and <laughs> I told him to... I didn't, I'm not going to use the language, but stop the car, <laughs> shall we say, yeah. and jumped out and tasted these grapes and came back I'm like I had no idea you had Pinot Gris and he's like yeah so I basically rang Janine and said we're, we're picking Pinot Gris tomorrow and this is I think it was the 12th of January and she kind of laughed and hung up and and then <laughs> who is this yeah. <laughs> stop calling me on exactly. my on my personal number <laughs> <laughs> and yeah literally we picked it the next day it was the 13th of January I think in 2014 and we okay. made half a ton for fun okay um, so what wines directly influenced this wine? What, what wines informed your decisions on this and, and that decision? The thing is, like, we'd never... I'd never been introduced to Gravner or those styles of wines before this, mm. um, of wines up that way in Europe. Um, but it was these two guys in California. One is a guy called Pax from Wingat mm-hmm. and a guy called, called Scott from Jolie Lade, mm-hmm. who both were working in the same winery. Interestingly, one made a, a four or five weeks in contact. It was much richer and bigger. And then Scott would do two days. Mm-hmm. And then I think our wine is kind of in the middle now. Yeah. But it was just a wine that uh, we just enjoyed. It was fun. So it those two wines specifically that sort of yeah, I can't, treat your... I, I, yeah. I, I can't think of any wines I'd had before that yeah. that had any idea. And I mean, yeah. it was 2013, 14. We were still pretty experimental back then. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, we as I said, we picked half a ton and... We made it and Janine and I have differing opinions on that wine. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> In what way? <laughs> I She loved the 14, I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I enjoy it because we made it, but yeah. I didn't enjoy it because it didn't turn out as I th- know we could have made it. Okay. I think so. I think that's the way of doing it, whereas Janine just loves it. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, sorry. So, sorry. so that specific vintage of that one? Yes, that vintage. The, okay. No, no, no. 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 That vintage. I, I got the... Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, fast forward. Fast forward. A, a, lot, a lot's happened in the last five years. A lot's changed. I mean, firstly, the vineyard grew up. It was only mm-hmm. six years old when we picked it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it's probably the hardest wine we make, I think. It's taken the most amount of learning. In terms of winery Vinification, input, or, yeah. or in terms of... Working with the farmer and working out picking dates and stuff. Is it, no, is it a nice variety to work with in that sense? It's or awesome. Is it, okay. It's, um, it's, if there's no wind, it's perfect to farm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, much, it's much easier to farm the Pinot Noir, yeah. strangely. Because I know there's a few more Stellenbosch Pinot Gris skin contact wines there in the works. Few. 
Apparently. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to, well, it's to have, have a little association going yeah. at some point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we've learned a lot about how to make it. And I think, personally, we're getting... For me, it's definitely the one that we've improved the most. Yeah. It's certainly the most Instagrammed of your wines. Yeah, I mean, it's... the most shared. It's, it has, obviously, a very unique... Um, it has a, you know, a, yep. a unique situation to it in terms of... And, I mean, strangely, as I said, we made this as a as a... As a we never thought it would be commercial in a broad sense. Mm -hmm. um, so we made half a ton was at 300 bottles. And if we didn't like it or whatever, we'd just drink it. But we bottled it because we thought, you know, whatever. We can do it better next year. Yeah. So now it's, you know, it's our biggest volume wine. Mm. And, and it's scary to see where it ends up. Do you, um, talking about where it ends up, you go into a restaurant somewhere and you see in the rosé section, Craven Pinot Gris. Do you get upset with that, or do you? Not really. Uh, I it, used to. As long as they pay their bills. <laughs> <laughs> or did you used to get upset? Not upset. I was just like, it's not a rosé. I would. Rosé is the one category that kind of annoyed me. Yeah. But you know, now I've kind of learned, and I have to spend a lot of time in trade around the world or whatever. That I don't know someone's customers in Austin, Texas, better than they do. So mm. I want them to put it where they think their customers are comfortable with it. Yeah. You know, if they order a rosé and they get that and they're happy with it, that's great. If they give, order a white give, wine. Give them a reason to say yes to the wine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but it's... Not, not say no. Yeah, uh. for sure. And I think it's, it's not... It's, it's a very difficult wine to place. Mm. I think on a list or in a shelf or... But okay. strangely, it just disappears. Well, quick, quickly run through us. Uh, okay, fruits picked when? Yeah. Sort of mid-January? It's always the first thing we pick. Okay. It's generally mid-January. Yep. Earliest has been the 10th, latest is the 25th. Um, and so biggest um, volume wine you do, what sort yep. of tonnage are you looking at? Sort of we more about uh, 10 tonnes this year, 12 tonnes, okay. I'd say. Okay, fruit comes into the winery that morning. Yep, so we normally, we used to mess around with a whole bunch. Okay. Everything is... Um, we obviously ferment on skins. It's all open top fermentation. But we've learned, we went like 50% whole bunch to 20% and we just found it was too, I mean, Pinot Gris is actually quite a tannic grape itself. Mm -hmm. And we just completely- So it was a tannin, whole bunch. It, was a, it was a call on the tannin rather than the, uh, yep. the acid or the- Yeah, acid the, also. Yeah. Um, the stems obviously do absorb acid or yeah. the potassium. But we just found, Took away from the wine, the whole bunch. The okay. stems just so made it a bit too savory. So we de-stem everything 100%, mm -hmm. whole bunch. Oh, sorry, we uh, open top. We do punch it down. We do pump it over. We treat it like a, a red wine. Mm -hmm. um, it's not babied through. Depending on the year, it's generally six to eight days. Okay. Skin contact. And is it dry pretty much it's dry there? when yeah. you press. It rips through ferment, mm -hmm. so we don't let it. I mean, it goes up to thirty degrees. It's and do you pr and you, is your pressing decision based on when it finishes ferment or more just, on tannin? On, okay, tannin. All right. Yeah, I mean, the last it's our wine's getting less and less tannin every year. We just mm -hmm. find it's better that way. Yeah, so it's um, more drinkable. Yeah. Yeah. Just a bit more approachable. Yep. Um, cool. You know, I love skin ferment wines and ones that are really tannic and. Um, it can be very cerebral and make you think, but a lot of them I can only get one glass. Yeah, right. You so know? Not, yeah. They're, I wanted... they're very satiating, not, not um, yes. sati satiating. I can't remember the word, but uh, they're not Moorish. Yes. They're very satisfying yeah. in terms of... So we just so just, give just, just for the record, Chardonnay and Shannon, any skin contact on that or not? Uh, no, just okay. heavy solids ferment. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. But no skin contact. Uh, so agree... Um, destemmed, yep. uh, open top ferment, yep. six to eight days, goes dry. You um, press off into old oak, I'm assuming. Yeah, we press into tank. 
Oh, tank? I pressed okay. all I wants to tank initially. Okay. Um, and then the thing, if they're going through malolactic mm-hmm. and they seem to be ripping through, we'll finish it in tank. Okay. That's purely logistical and because we can't be bothered sampling every barrel from malolactic. It's more. Yeah, right. And it's just nice to let it do its thing together. Yeah. Um, Pinot Gris generally does. So Pinot Gris, strangely, every year we'll press it. And within a week, it's finished malolactic in tank. And then we put it to barrel. So cool. we put it to old old or neutral, whatever you want to call it, 500 litre barrels. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've learned we bottle this early. So this generally gets bottled August at the latest. Right. It's funny because you talk, we talk August, but it's still seven months, elevated or six months because yeah. it's picked in January. Okay. It's dry in January. And it's a pretty funky wine, like in terms of um, uh, coming from the, the center of the road. I mean, obviously yep. there's funkier wines out there for sure. Sure. Are you filtering, finding? What are you doing to sort of, are you clarifying at all? What, um, are you just doing, um, just racks or? We never find any of our wines. Okay. We used to never filter, but I'm happy to go on record that say sometimes we do filter okay. but it's very like a very coarse sheet mm-hmm. filtration so we obviously don't sterile filter or anything mm-hmm. um yeah it's not about making it it's not about sort of uh what's the word managing risk or anything mm-hmm. i think we've just learned now you've got to just do what's best for the wine and sometimes like a light filtration is best for the wine yeah um and you just kind of Sounds stupid. You can, you can just feel it in the taste sometimes. It's like maybe just... And we do do trials. We do a mm-hmm. little trial and a little batch. And yep. Sometimes we've done a trial and it, it made the wine worse. So we just didn't filter it. Yep. Um, but we do rack a lot. Yeah. As a natural sort of clarifant. Um, yeah, but we never find wines. We don't... Mm-hmm. We just feel the best way to stabilize them is um, letting them go through malactic. Um, so the only adjustments you would do is... Maybe some filtering and some sulfur. sulfur that's that's yeah. pretty much it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. That's All pretty right. much it. Let's move on. Pinot Noir. Yep. So Pinot is what we started with. Mm. It's f- yeah. Interesting grape. Uh, and it's it's just been it's been fun because I mean it was the first thing we ever started on. So this comes from Janine's old family farm, mm-hmm. which her family used to own. And incredible. So this isn't in the pocket drive. This is down near. No. So uh, we're down in Fora now. In the south southern. Uh, yep. Area of Stellenbosch Some under the west, kind of. <laughs> Strand, uh, <laughs> WA Strand, yeah. uh, under the uh, under Helderberg in terms of um, the mountain, the southern yep. Uh, yep. mountain of Stellenbosch. I so mean, this region should have a, a ward. I can in terms of its say, uniqueness. Is yes. that yeah? Okay. I think it's a yeah. very unique piece of land. Okay. Yeah. Right. Not just for it, but on the back slopes and all around there. And so, if memory serves me correct, this is a southwest facing slope. Yes. Um, a granite again, or uh, a little bit. It's rocks but it's at the more, top, isn't it? It's more it's clay, 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 sand, and granite. I'd say as the mix. It's much more, shall we say, more soil than our mm-hmm. other vineyards, which have a lot more sand. And this seems to be the most challenging viticulturally yeah. vineyards that you work with. Would uh-huh. that be a fair? Yeah. Am I being very diplomatic there? Or? No, it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's peanut. It's not the easiest thing to farm, but it's mm. also, you know, we get a lot of wind there, obviously. It's right mm. on False Bay, but that False Bay wind is very wet. It's not a dry wind by any stretch. Okay. Um, so obviously that brings a lot of problems through in January through with botrytis and whatnot. So obviously okay. a lot of people think wind, that's great for reduction in disease and um, 
botrytis and those things, but in this sense, it's actually not. So we're bringing in moisture into the yeah, into the into the bunch zone. Yeah, like a lot yeah. of mornings in January, actually, whether it's thirty degrees in the day, it's still quite misty in the morning. Okay, um, that's probably why it works in terms of the temperature. That mist brings the temperature down, I yep. suppose, as well. Like yeah. If that wasn't misty, it would probably maybe too, be too warm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's I mean, Stellenbosch and Pinot is not exactly um, you know the most well-known relationship, and four is comfortably not a cool climate but we just feel it's an area that kind of could work for pinot mm-hmm. um and yeah it's just a and you've also got the, the, the historical attachment of exactly. being with that's where janine yep. grew up and her yep. family farmed and i mean the long story or the short well short enough but is when we moved back here in 2011 and had the idea of making our own wines we obviously want to make something from our family farm just to start with because mm. the farm at that stage um, you, you had it in for the fruit, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. the newer new guy. Um, the Mrs. You know, Noser bloke. Yeah. And most of it was planted, you know, the varieties of Cab and Syrah and Merlot and Sauvignon Blanc and mm-hmm. all the, the common varieties. Because, I mean, they were, they were selling all their fruit, weren't they? They were, yep. just, they were grape yep. growers and that was their business. They sold grapes. Yep. Yeah. And there was this one that, strangely, actually, back in the day, Janine's dad said they farmed three varieties. It was Claret, Cinso and Shannon. That was it. Mm. Bush vine. And hundreds of hectares of it that's all mm. they had and now he said most farms are like that it's crazy mm. how it's changed anyway there was this one little vineyard of dijon clone it was one of the earliest dijon clones planted actually 115 so we're 20 years old now which is quite old for a, a clone like that i mm-hmm. think and just heading back to the label if you look at the label the little red splodge yeah. on the on the label <laughs> is where the vineyard is on that slope it is and it yeah. looks like that in january with the vi- when the virus yeah. <laughs> in january <laughs> yeah. it's funny someone pointed that out to me he's like is this the virus here yeah. and i'm like wow we didn't think of that it's russet yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's more blood red on the label yeah. but it's more so russet in, this, in the real life it's it's a vineyard that is um uh, it's not a lie about it, it's sadly dying. So, yeah. so um, deeply affected with leaf roll virus. It is, correct. Okay. And so, so that doesn't just sort of obviously interrupt um, the ripening of red varieties, it actually harms the plants. It does in the long term, yeah, for sure. Okay. I mean, you obviously need chlorophyll to ripen grapes, you also need chlorophyll to grow a plant. Yeah. So um, in time, it's just going to go. And I mean, we've seen a lot of vines, you'll see there'll be a 10 fuckies, I love that word. Um, that are just vacant with nothing. And okay. then there'll be a few more vines. If you look at it from the end too, it looks like a scattered bush vine. Yeah, but it's right. a trellis Pinot vineyard. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a vineyard that we... It's just been it's been awesome to make and it's, turned us, it's taught us a lot about winemaking, for mm-hmm. sure, about how to um, not be stuck in your sort of dogma and you need to adjust to what the vineyard is, mm-hmm. you know. But I mean, Christian, without notice and answering it or not, if the vineyard wasn't on Janine's family's farm yep. it sounds like it's the outlier in terms of what you search for in mm-hmm. Stellenbosch maybe perhaps maybe you wouldn't be making the wine if it wasn't yeah that's a fair point but um, obviously you wouldn't have got started with exactly. back then in a, as it was then and, and to yeah. the end so it was sort of like the the gateway and then then you found your way after that yeah, I guess. yeah. we love making it so uh, obviously 19 I'm assuming a bit of whole bunch there yeah so as I said, it's taught us a lot about not being dogmatic, but we're very dogmatic about a whole bunch in this wine, mm-hmm. whether people like that or not. Um, so we do do 100% whole bunch on this. Mm-hmm. It's funny, we've never actually experimented without doing it. We just always, we did it from the start and we'll do it to the, the death, I think. Yep. We just like what it gives. Um, but that's, I mean, that seems like your starting point. 
of yeah. making wine, I guess, is yep. like, we'll do it this way and then we'll see if it works and see if it doesn't. Yep. You know, other people have different starting points and then yep. drift in their own ways yep. or, or make adjustments in their own ways. Um, but it seems that you and Janine is really a, a whole bunch starting point. I mean, this, obviously we'll talk about the Cinso mm-hmm. and with obviously with Pinot Gris as well. You said did, you know, and you went less and less and less. Mm. We didn't talk about the Claret, but obviously you did skin contact and then you sort of pulled did that back as well. As well. Yeah. yeah, It's interesting how you've, you were sort of more aggressive in your initial approach. I think so. And then now you've, you know, five, six years down the line, well, nine years now down the yeah. line, um, you're treading much more carefully in the winery, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, I think again, so. nine years of good, better farming perhaps yep. makes a difference to the fruit. You actually have to do less to it to extract yep. intensity and flavour and character. Yeah, Would that I be a fair comment or not? I think it is. And I just think... I think you you do ultimately change over the over the years, and not only you're thinking about how you make wine, but obviously the wine you drink. Mm. I think the wine we drink these days is pretty similar to what we drank nine years ago. Yeah. But I mean, Janine and I met in two thousand and seven, and the following year I worked at a place called Two Hands, and Janine worked at a place called Torbreak, which make for both those that Barossa. know, yeah. mass you know, both in the Barossa and Australia make. 16, 17% highly extracted red wines, which we both absolutely adored. Mm. You know, we loved that style. Even if you told Janine and I in 2007, in 10 years' time, you're going to be making 12% Syrah, I would just have laughed. Mm. So it's amazing what, uh, where you change, and I think it also it does affect how you make the wine, Yeah, of course. But, but I think it's also a sign of a, um, an active, interested, um, professional approach that there is adjustment possible in every vintage. Yeah. You know, it, it, is, it speaks more about the process of what you're trying to do long-term rather mm-hmm. than, no, no, we, we make our wines this way. It's more about the, um, the journey that, horrible word, but yeah. that you and Janine are on. And, you know, because obviously you don't come from winemaking families. You're not, there is no um, Craven vintage cracking 1974 that yeah. you're getting compared back to. So you can only get compared to yourself. So you have to, I think it's beneficial for everybody involved in the project, including people who make it, sell it and drink it, that these things change and evolve. Cause that's one of the interesting things about wine. They're not- 100%. In, in, the, in, the, in the scale of what we're doing, we're not just doing things to a recipe. No. You know, and things can go right and things can go wrong and hopefully they go more right than wrong, but- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but that's, uh, yeah. So. Again, 100% whole bunch, um, open top ferment, so yep. seven, eight days again? Yeah, or? very short, actually, seven, eight days, generally when it's dry. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things, if you whole bunch ferment, there's no such thing as going dry because mm. a majority of the sugar is locked up in the in the whole bunch. Yes. Um, in the actual stems or in the in the berries? No, in the uncrushed berries. Yeah. You know, to give you an example, you can press off it without getting too technical. You can press when the juice is at zero bricks, which mm. is almost dry. And then the resulting juice from the pressings could be seven bricks. Yeah. So when you before pressing, you're actually testing the juice. Yeah. Obviously, the, the alcoholic a lot, juice. Sorry, the like the must. Yes. Um, and then there's unfermented juice still in the berries mm. that or partially ferment. that yeah, yeah. That, that haven't been that you can't read. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So once you press, it becomes a, um, a generic yeah. um, liquid. So you, yeah. when you Assess that that's a more true representation of what. Yeah. yeah I mean, okay. a lot of people will keep the quote unquote free run separate and then the pressing separate. Mm-hmm. But we just like to be harmonious and press everything together and make one wine and then treat it as one. Cool. Yeah. So that was the Pinot. Since so? 
talking about a whole bunch. It's uh, a bit of a different story here. Yeah, I mean. So we're, we're back down, we're still down south. So yeah. this is on the other side of Fora. The slope of Fora. Yeah. Or so back into. Fora, but... So what would you call this area? Um, um, so we need Fora, to speak to Bernard. But we call Fergrove? it. We call it Fergrove, I guess. Yeah. I guess the whole area is Fergrove Fora. Yeah. Um, I mean, Bernard yeah. calls it Sinai. So like. <laughs> he's on his he's on his own um on his own mission there. Yeah. His family is to own like, exactly. half of it or all of it or whatever. So Yeah, I mean this is a so this is farmed by Bernard's cousin. Cousin, Peter, yes. Peter Peter Bradell. Bradell. He's yep. a pretty phenomenal human being. Mm. Um so they've got a pretty incredible farm called Rostanoff, mm -hmm. which is, as he said, right down near the ocean. And mm -hmm. it's got a pretty incredible amount of sort of old bushvine Sinso and Shannon, and then obviously a lot of other stuff of Sarah and Pinotage. And, and you know, when we, we thought of dipping our toe into Sinso, we did with a vineyard in 2016, up on the hills of the Butleray, actually. It was never where we really wanted to get Sinso, but it was just, it was actually very hard to come by Sinso in Stellenbosch back then. It still is quite hard. Were you actively seeking it at that point? Or? Yeah, um, but, we were. But why? We just liked the variety. Um, well, why did you like it? What, what wines did you have or what did you... I mean, it was more, you know, you know, us, we like drinking lighter styles of red wine. Yeah. Um, since I was a perfect grape for that. Yeah. But one thing that we were always sort of quite apprehensive about since I was, you can, I think back then it's getting better now. You know, I can be very wrong, but there was a, it was either Van der Swaaf, like 11% and just drink, drink. Mm -hmm. or really over-the-top extracted 13 14% Cinso. Mm -hmm. And to my memory back then, there wasn't a lot in between. Um, and so we were very apprehensive about making a wine in either of those camps, and mm -hmm. we didn't know if the grape could do something in between. Okay, and, right. Um, because, you know, the thing is, single vineyard wines is you're, you've pretty much, you're making a wine from one vineyard, and if it's a mm -hmm. shit vineyard... Yep. And there's an argument out there that Cinso isn't a fine wine variety. Yeah. So maybe that, with that, did you have a bit of trepidation about that? Or not you, really. I mean, we're that not. That wasn't. We we obviously want to make fine wine. Yeah. Um, but you know, people use the word profound and whatever, and whether Cinso can do that, I don't really care to be honest. Because mm. at the end of the day, a really good bottle of Cinso for me is as good as a really good bottle of. Burgundy. I don't yeah. know. You know, it's whatever's yeah. in the glass. It brings different choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe from there it also spurred us on to try and find somewhere that could give you both. Mm -hmm. um, so you're saying Cinso is quite light, I yeah. guess, in the spectrum again. Yeah. So is this the, one of the earlier things that come into the winery as well? No, uh -huh. actually, not it's a late ripening grape. Okay. And also another thing that put us off Cinso a lot was the bad pH, bad acid okay. nature of the grape in general. Yeah. It's generally got a high pH and low acid, which for mm -hmm. us is not our favorite thing in the world. Yeah. Um, because you, you don't want to add no. to that. Yeah. And I think that's it, why yeah. a lot of wines that did end up like 11 and 12% because you had to pick them that early. Mm -hmm. So we were shown, I've, I've known about this farm rest enough for quite some time. And there were some, there were some really good blocks of Cinso on there, but they were all taken by mm -hmm. people. And then... So you got the shit one. <laughs> and then in 17 we were happy with the 16 it was fine mm -hmm. but then during the course of 16 um, we were actually kicked off that block anyway so <laughs> we had to find another one anyway um, but what, what were you doing in there? no <laughs> naughty things yeah, yeah 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 but we were kicked off and it was actually the same week I got a phone call from Peter Brio saying I've got a 
this spare block of sin, so would mm-hmm. you guys be interested? And like, Janine and I literally dropped everything and drove there and shut, up, actually sh- we, shut up and take our money. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly where we wanted since we're from anyway. Okay. Um, for what reason, we don't know. I mean, it was this beautiful 35-year-old sand, bush fine, you know, ground sand vineyard. Mm-hmm. I mean, that should make good wine, right? And then that year... Depends who makes it, mate. Yeah, true. I'll just get my mate in the polka dry. Mm-hmm. And so 2017, we started with that vineyard. Obviously a great year. And we were very apprehensive about doing a lot of whole bunch. I mean, this comes back to what you were saying before. And we decided, you know, being a high pH, low acid grape, for people out there that don't know, a little bit of background, whole bunch fermentation makes that even worse. There's a thing called potassium in stems, which sort of binds with the acidity. And I think chemists could give a, a lot better description, but essentially if you use whole bunches, you will lose acidity and mm-hmm. you will increase your pH. So we decided, you know what, there's probably not much acid. And the reason why that's bad is because what bacteria is more active at, at, at higher yeah. pHs and lower acid? Two things. We don't like wines that generally have a low acidity. Well, we like, so wines, that, we like wines that have a high acidity. So they're less refreshing in yeah. the mouth in terms of to drink? Yeah, and structure and um, yep. sort of... And perhaps less stable in terms of... Yeah, and the second thing is that high pH yeah. um, from a stability point of view, bacterial point of view, yeah. because we don't want to have to smash it with 100 parts of sulfur and mm-hmm. filter it to make it stable. Yeah, okay. So we decided to... Yeah, I think we did put in like... 20 bunches of whole bunch at the bottom just to make ourselves feel good. Just to tick that box. Yeah, 1% whole <laughs> yeah, bunch. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it just, it turned out well. And strangely, the wine actually, if you look at it analytically, does have a lot of acidity. Mm. So you pre, I mean, Bernard uses, I'm pretty sure, some whole bunch and he mm-hmm. makes a delicious wine. Mm-hmm. So I think this vineyard, you can get away with a bit of whole bunch, but for us, it just kind of worked and we've stuck with it. So we 100% de-stem. Mm-hmm. Which for us was a big leap. It kind of sounds stupid. It's generally the other way. Yep. Like 100% whole bunch is a big leap for a lot of people. Yeah, and it's one of those things that kind of it was a good decision, I think, in the in the beginning, and we've stuck with it. Cool, man. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Syrah. Syrah. So this is furs. This is a different, again, different area. Yep. Stellenbosch as well. So this is Devon Valley. Yeah. So much uh, more clay-based soils. Yeah, it's, it's a funny... Of, it's a proper valley as well. It's sort yeah, of you it's go a, it's into... It's a funny little valley. Yeah. It's, it doesn't get spoken about much. I no. mean, JC LaRue is probably what people know, where the Devon Valley is. Yeah. Um, but the wines don't necessarily come from there. It's just where the... Yeah, where, yeah. The, where the, the house is or whatever yeah. you call it. So it's um, almost like in between the Bottleray and Stellenbosch proper? And sort of... Kind of. It kind of separates... It pretty much separates Stellenbosch Clerf, which for people that don't know is Jordan and De Morgan's on mm-hmm. that area. Mm-hmm. And then the other side of Devon Valley is Carmundi, basically in Stellenbosch. Okay. So if you literally go over that hill, yep. you're in Carmundi. Yep. So it's very close to the town. And if you look at those whole that whole hill range there, you've got the Polka Dry Hills running into Stellenbosch Clerf, which are generally all granite driven with a bit of shale. So traveling east. Traveling east, yep, yep towards the city, uh, town. And then you go into Devon Valley, which is this dark red clay mm. and you don't really see any granite it's the most strange soil transition it's almost orange the soil isn't yeah. it like it's a real sort of like terracotta sort of yeah but um, i guess if you look at it um the best way to describe is for people that have been up into the simmonsburg the, the takaras and thelemas you see that soil that really mm-hmm. rich sort of dark red soil yeah um that's what the devon valley is for us and that's where mm-hmm. the sarara is planted on yeah so it's a completely different 
soil profile and it's taken us a while to get our head around that yeah because obviously you're doing with granite and sand and yeah, everything so, so it's a, a, a yeah different ripening different everything okay. so when, when is this ripening when did you pick in in 2019 um we picked things the 25th of feb okay all right so a month later yeah it's much yeah. later generally yeah just because it's we feel but you're still it's, you're still operating around about 12 and a half 13 percent aren't you it's not yeah. it's not, certainly not yeah the thing we've had to learn with this soil, particularly compared to granite soils, the granite soils we find, once they get to that point of, hang on, we think this is ready to go and ripe, it's mm -hmm. like we have about two days to get this in. Okay. Otherwise, it's just going to race. Okay. Whereas with this sort of heavy clay soil, because it's got a much higher water holding content, um, it's a lot more buffered, the ripening. So the sugars don't go up as quickly. Yeah, so we've, okay. we've pulled the trigger um, a bit early a few times. Okay. So we've just learned that, you know, we've probably got a week and a week and a half, not that long, but yeah. we've got a much longer window to pick this vineyard. Okay. And yeah. don't stress out if you can't pick it that week, mm -hmm. which is a good thing. Okay. Yeah. And 100% whole bunch for this one? Yeah. Yep. I mean, Syrah for us should be 100% whole bunch. I think it's the grape that just loves it. Okay. Um, not should be, but mm -hmm. for us it is. The wines that we adore are Syrah, they're a whole bunch. And what wines are those? Like, give us a, uh, throw out a couple of... I mean, Northern Rhone, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a producer that we both love is Pierre Gonon. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of our sort of favourite producers up there. You know, obviously people like Jamais and Chave and all the famous people. And mm -hmm. um, You know, you can't compare our wines to them. I mean, when I say our wines, I mean South Africa in general. Yeah. We do have granites and stuff, but I just think what it gives to the wine and, to, and the Syrah really sort of takes it out of that. You know, you're talking to someone who's grown up next to the Brossa, basically. He's mm -hmm. grew up on massive, fruity, insane wines. And I think what whole bunch does and picking a little bit earlier is just takes it towards that sort of more savory, irony, bloody spectrum rather than just fruit in your face. Yeah. Like, of course, and, as you said earlier in the earlier on like you're not lacking fruit here no, that's not the issue at all so you've got that in the bag yep and so how do you sort of use that as the base and add on from yeah there? okay particularly I mean, what we've learned that we've really enjoy actually about this clay soil i mean it's not the most well-known thing to grow sarara on is these heavy clay soils mm -hmm. i mean it is very iron rich but um yeah devon valley syrah is not the most google term no uh, it's just for South African wine. Yeah. But the great thing is, I mean, we obviously do pick a bit earlier, and what this soil does, it kind of does bring in structure at a lower sort of sugar level, if that okay. makes sense. Yep. So you can build in a bit of structure and tannin at 12, 12 and a half percent. And I think it, it helps a lot. Yeah. It's certainly for me the broadest of your of yeah. your wines in terms of on the palate, in yeah. terms of the width it has and the and the um, yeah the mouth feel is is, mm -hmm. is I mean I think it's your best wine that you make. Um, but yeah, yeah, so do we. Yeah, oh really? Okay, that's Definitely. interesting. Yeah, okay. It's yeah. one of those. Obviously, we think they're all our best, but um, <laughs> no, but I mean, I love all my children equally. <laughs> yeah, they're all good. yeah. Oh, I mean, all the judging and all that stuff, points and whatever. Mm. Um, but I think if I was to, if I was that in way, that way trained and I looked at our wines, I would think that is the, the quote unquote best wine. Yeah. If okay. that makes sense. Yeah. Nice one. Um, cool. All right. It is what Moving it is. on. Cabernet Sauvignon. 
2019, second vintage out. Yes. Made a few little waves uh, with your 2018, but yeah. you didn't make enough of it um, no. for the waves to sort of uh, develop into... Let's see how long those waves go with a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> did you make it much more in 2019? We did, actually. I okay. mean, we always, as I said before, we always start... If we start a new one, we always start with a little. So what did you make in... What did you... What? How much fruit did you get in on 2018 uh, and and versus 20, and then 2019? Oh, six. All right. Five or six. Yeah, so you went four times, four X. Yeah, four okay. times little is still little. So explain to us where, where okay. the vineyard is. So the cab, the cab is once again, it's on Caribib Farm. Okay, so up on the Polka Drive. Yeah. Granite soils, pretty yep. exposed. And granite and clay, it's quite a strange little section there. It's got this okay. clay line running through it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just a, I don't know what it is. I've heard this from other more experienced Cabernet producers, shall we say, that there's something about that area as well that they've found that Cabernet there seems to ripen physiologically, whatever that means, um, much earlier than other parts of Stellenbosch. So you're saying there's a, the tannins and stuff yeah, comes and in the, line with the, the fruit greenness isn't The greenness dissipates earlier. Okay. Um, so, I mean, the whole reason this wine came about was once again a spur of the moment, 2018. Mm -hmm. Janine and I were picking the Shannon, which is obviously quite a bit earlier than the cab. And this vineyard is literally next door on a slightly different elevation. Uh, sorry, face. Aspect, yeah. Aspect, that's <clears> the word. <throat> and we just jumped down there because the grapes are fully through Verazon and we just tasted some and we're mm, like, sure. what the heck? Like this is, you could tell it was probably 18 bricks, mm -hmm. which is 10% alcohol, yeah. but no greenness. Yep. Tannins are good. So we just thought it was spare of the moment. We're like, let's make cab. We enjoy, the thing with cab is we enjoy cab flavors. I just don't necessarily enjoy the punch in the face that a lot of cabs can give you. Mm -hmm. um, so we just thought, you know what, let's make a cab. So, so you like the flavors, not necessarily how it's made. Yeah. Would that be a fair comment? I think so. I mean, I think it's one of those varieties that, and I'm, I can, I'm gonna get in trouble, but I think it's probably the variety in the world that's been pushed far due to certain wine critics more than others in terms of richness and bigness and stature and yeah i think it's a i think it's a bit of a um triumvirate between cabernet syrah and chardonnay yeah but I depending cabernet's... on where they, anyway we're yeah. splitting um, straws and arguing i think we're agreeing with each other yeah so and what so, do you do then how do you make it i mean we we pick it earlier okay uh, keep saying that what sort, like bricks you, what sort of bricks are you at oh, bricks um bowing yeah. um 21 and a half 22 okay. which is people so what would be the norm in, in Stellenbosch, you would 25 think? 25 minimum, okay. 24 to 26, yep. I'd say. Okay. People wouldn't even be sampling at 22. Yeah. Um, and so when is, when is that coming in? That is That actually came in a week after our, um, that year, no, two weeks after Shannon. So okay. sort of late Feb. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a vineyard that you could leave it there at 22 and in three weeks it'll be 22 and a half or 23 mm -hmm. it's very slow ripening but you will lose acidity um and which is, is an issue for Caribib us. early late ripening site or it's quite late okay generally okay um if you look at it pound for pound from you know a Syrah there a Syrah down the road it is quite a bit later okay. why i have no idea mm -hmm. um so altitude maybe it could be yeah. Because it's quite high, isn't it, on the bubble dry? It's yeah, it's probably about one of the highest If, if not the highest, it's yeah. sort of right up there. It's on the crest Particularly there. the Syrah blocks up the top are okay. very high. Yeah. And um, Cabernet, you're doing a whole bunch again in 2019? Or so you did a whole bunch We again? did, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that we did do 100% a whole bunch. Because Cabernet, I mean, needs more tannin, doesn't it? It needs lots more tannin. <laughs> 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 um, 
Um, look, we did it in 2018 why? as an experiment. Yeah. Well, why? What? Because this is the again my point of saying that's your starting point. Yeah. Yeah. Did you make an adjustment in 2019, or are you happy with we the result? We did in 19, but we may have in 20. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it had nothing to do with the fact that we didn't like the wine. It yeah. had more to do with how can we make the wine better. Yeah. I mean, we're cons- we're always thinking about that. Yeah. Um, for instance, in 2020, we did 85% whole bunch. Okay. We'll get onto that next year. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and so six times came into the winery. Yeah. Foot stomped it, put yep. it into an open top. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got to be careful with tannin, obviously, mm-hmm. a whole bunch of cab. And you've got to be more concerned about green tannin at that mm-hmm. sugar level. Yeah. But you're only really going to get green tannin if you leave it on skins for too long with alcohol present. Yeah. So, so the alcohol, the higher the alcohol, obviously, yeah. the more extraction you get. Yeah. And you find it gets greener. Yeah. The tannin, tannin profile. So yeah. we press it. We press it a little sweet. Okay. So we're pressing this off at five bricks. Right. And um, how many days or? It's not long. Ferment? It's five or six. Four or five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. And then just an old oak. Are you pressing into tank again? Press into tank. Yeah. Give it couple of days let it do its thing and then we put this actually into 300 liter barrels yep yeah okay so a little bit smaller format you bottle more or less the wines from the same vintage over the course of a couple of months no No? so we bottle so the pinot gris early pinot gris in a a normal year shall we say pinot gris august Mm -hmm. we'll do another run in october which will generally be shannon chardonnay what else do we make? Sinso, definitely. Sometimes Sinso we sneak in in September. Okay. It really just depends how it's looking. Mm-hmm. We've actually bottled that in August once. So the other guys, and then the ones we bottle sort of towards the end of the year of the Sarah and the Cab. Okay. This year we actually bottled the 19 in January. We just felt it needed a little bit more time in barrel. Most of our 19s we felt needed a little bit more time in barrel this year. Yeah. Just especially for Cabernet, that seems like a very short alibi. Very early. Yeah. I mean, yeah. is that desirable? Is that because you just need the space? Um, <laughs> is it a combination of those things? Um, Do you think it, I mean, is it a stylistic choice only? Is that it a combina- could change. Is it a combination of things? We actually have a barrel of Cab of 19 in the cellar. Okay. We did leave a barrel out just to see. Mm-hmm. Or oh, it's a 225. We dropped it down into a 225. Mm-hmm. Just to see how it goes yeah. in barrel. Yeah. I mean, it's a, a small, it's 8% of our production. Because yeah. um, I mean, the common wisdom for Cabernet yeah, is that it needs... months or whatever, yeah. minimum. Yeah. So we don't know. So we'll, we'll check that barrel and see how it goes. I haven't tasted it since January, since we bottled it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you've got to check these things out. I mean, one year we had a Syrah barrel that we left. I'm pretty sure you tasted it. Yeah, yeah, three yeah. months later, it was banging. Yeah, yeah. But then we left another month and it wasn't. Right. So like, okay. it's, what do you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would rather err on the side of bottling it earlier than later. Because mm-hmm. I mean, you can always age it, it in bottle. It ages in bottle, yeah. Yeah, obviously much slower, but yep. once it's gone in barrel, it's gone. Yeah. And that's that's what we learned with Pinot Gris. You just had to bottle it early. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's... Bottle with some life rather than... Yeah. With no life left. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I understand. Cool, man. Awesome. Um, just a quick one. Farming. Um, would you call yourself a natural wine producer or not? Not yet. No. Okay. No. Is, that, is that the goal to get there? Like, or? In the in the in the rules. Well, you know the, what I mean, like in the. I do. I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm. Ultimately, yes. Yeah. I mean, we in terms of the vinification, we are. Mm-hmm. But the farming for me is the first and foremost rule of natural wine, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people that just, just forget about that. It's the establishment. Yeah. 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 So I mean, ultimately, I mean, yes. The, the movement was based on farming, not. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's to get there to. 
you're not ticking a box. Say we're going to say we're natural wine. I think the thing yeah. is, ultimately, we want our vineyards to be organic, yep. and we're there with a few, and mm -hmm. the rest we just need to get there. And for us, it was always, you know, I mean, we're more than happy and open to talk about how we farm our stuff because mm -hmm. I think it's important. And some farmers will need more time, and we're fully with that. I mean, mm -hmm. we can't. We're not in this for the next two or three years. We're in it for thirty years, and mm -hmm. we want them to be comfortable with, you know, just getting them some of them off herbicides is a big deal yeah you know and so specifically roundup or yeah yeah all, all, all herbicides all yeah right all your farmers are yeah. off them now and yeah. yeah right um how they feel about that so we know yeah yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no it's good i mean it, it's working but it, it needs to work for them you yes. know we can't they need expect to be them. they need to be comfortable with it. it yeah exactly yeah you know a great example is a very good farmer of ours dino gibet farms at pinot gris and asra right and he farms lots and lots of vineyards mm. and he can't organically farm everything mm. but he is very open to us in our section of Pinot Gris going that direction because I think it gives him a bit of an outlet to he sees it as an experiment and a hobby and it's great yeah, because yeah. we see it actually as our livelihood but yeah you know this year he decided he went and spent a couple hundred grand on a, a scuffling implement behind his tractor which mm -hmm. works phenomenal and he's like this thing's great scuffling pretty much weeding like yeah so weeding weeds, yeah. removing herbicides mm -hmm. um and he does quite a few of his vineyards with that now mm -hmm. and he's just like hang on if i use this I so you're his little r d project yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's a process for us and we don't you know i mean we by no means know anywhere near as much about organic viticulture as a lot of people in this country yeah. and we don't pretend to and we're learning mm. as much as anyone so we can't walk up to some grower who's never farmed that way and just go farm this organically because yeah, yeah. it's not it's a relationship I mean, yeah exactly and I mean, as you said before that you know the the person farming the grapes is in the environment you're operating in is almost the biggest piece of the puzzle in terms yeah. of they have to be on board and they have to exactly. go with you and yeah yeah so i mean we hope to get there one day to answer your question and cool. i think we will and it's going to take a lot more work on our half you know, we can't, we, we never have to rely on the farmers to do it because it's... And just a quick synopsis, give us a quick synopsis of 19 as a vintage in Stellenbosch. Oh, geez, as a sort of like this. a, using sort of 18, 17, 16, 15. Fuck, I haven't even thought about this. Is it wet, dry, hot, cold, <laughs> good acid, bad acid? I remember. We really liked 2019. I mean, coming off the back of 2018, which was tricky. I mean, obviously it was a, right in the middle of a drought. Yeah. Vineyards were all over the place. So the drought broke in growing season 2019 uh yeah More 2018 yeah 2018 no but the growing season of vintage 2019 uh, yeah sorry so, yeah yeah um yes yeah, so we had a lot more rain there but obviously 2019 was still affected mm -hmm. 2018 was all over the place vineyards had no idea what they were doing they're ripening different times and the wines were still good but it was a very confused sort of harvest whereas 2019 while it was affected and yields were still down it felt like things were slowly getting back to normal cool it was quite warm in patches, but there wasn't much rain. It was quite smooth. Normal in, in, in uh, yeah, in whatever normal is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. These days. Yeah. The new normal. Yeah. Cool. But it was a very, vinification wise, it was cruisy. Yeah, right. Um, so healthy ferments, everything right. Yeah. 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 It was a very smooth harvest and things sort of, we didn't have any heat spikes or anything. Yeah. If I so if, if I look at 2015, quite a vinous, powerful year, yep. you know, obviously a, a very um, structured year as well. Yep. Um, 16, warm, fruit weight, um, rich, maybe a little bit sort of loose in the ends, maybe yeah. not enough like acid and, and grip and the structure. Yep. And 17, almost like a, a light version of 15, like really much more precision, I guess, than the 15s, yeah. but much more primary fruit, less sort of vinous characters than 15. It's funny, I've kind of seen them as, I think we've had a bit of an odds and evens 
for a while now. Yeah, so 18 sort of more similar to 16. Yeah, not as, not as blousy and big, yeah. but I think 18s lacked a bit of intensity. Not that we, it's a huge thing for wine styles like ours, yeah. but I think 19 was a bit more back to that 17, 15 mold. Just had a bit more focus and a bit more intensity. And it's because they're the wines we're selling now. So it was a really good vintage. Yeah, amazing, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. Vintage of the decade. <laughs> yeah. But it did. I mean, 18 was tricky. Yeah. And 19 felt like, cool, we're almost back on track. Cool. Awesome. Um, thank you for that. And cool. uh, yeah, we'll, we'll taste the wine soon and they'll be out very soon. Lecker. <laughs>